This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. We're not consumers, we're active members of a body that's on a mission. And so there is no room for saying, I don't want the spirit, I don't want to do anything of ministry. No, you have been called to a ministry. If you clean the windows by the power of the spirit, if you greet, serve in children's ministry, evangelize on the streets, feed the homeless, whatever it is giving you the passion, the zeal, the natural talents, and the supernatural ability to do. When God calls you to something, how do you respond? Do you drop everything and follow His plan? Or do you drag your feet and try to find your own way? Today in his message, Pastor Josh illustrates the dire importance of following God's calling for your life. It doesn't matter if it's switching from 2% to skim or moving to Europe. Nothing is insignificant in God's eyes. Even if you think you have it all together, your plan will never work out as intended. Change the trajectory of your life by letting God lead now. Here's Pastor Josh in the book of John chapter 20, as he continues his message, The Purpose. Spirit, pneuma in the Greek, breath, wind, air. Jesus is breathing himself, in essence, Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, into the disciples in this newfound relationship. And this is what happens, I believe, to everyone who calls on the name of Christ. You can't do Christianity without the Spirit living in you. I'm going to make a statement that might sound controversial, but think about it. I think that every single spiritual transaction that happens between a person and God can only be mediated by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't have a spiritual transaction with God if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. The disciples, their transaction with God happened through the person of Jesus and the work of the Spirit through Christ. But now that Jesus is gone, if we want to stay connected to the life of God, we have to have that connection where His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And I think this is important for us to realize that the spirit of God has taken residence in our life. The the verses are too many to list. You and I, the Bible says, are individually temples of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, as a church, we are a temple being built up as a spiritual dwelling place of God. Spirit is in us. And this ought to get us thinking, well, what does the spirit do in me? I'm confident this is not a comprehensive list, but... It's the best I could put together based on my memory and knowledge of the scripture. Holy Spirit of God in us. First, he seals us. He seals us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, according and also in Ephesians 1.13, we read that God has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1 says... In Christ you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he uses two words, sealed and guaranteed. We are sealed, the ancient picture of the king's signet ring, that when the king would send a communication or something that that had to be done in his name, he would take the wax seal, he would put his signet ring, the sign of his authority, 
And that, whoever saw that letter would be, when they saw that seal, they said, don't tamper with that letter, you're going you're gonna to get it. And so the mark of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is now put on us in regards to our salvation. It's my personal belief that once the Holy Spirit has sealed you through faith in Christ, that there's no one else that can come and unseal you. And then he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word means down payment. Imagine buying a house. How do you have any confidence that that transaction will go through? You throw out a down payment. The Bible says every time, basically, that we sense to doubt whether or not we belong to Christ, all we need to remember is the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and that spiritual relationship we have with Christ is almost like his down payment to us to say, don't worry, the rest is coming. The work is going to be finished. The work I started in you, I'm going to complete until the day of salvation. I've given you my spirit, and you can see him working in your life, and that's proof. That's my down payment to you. That's my seal upon you, that I live inside of your heart. Secondly, the Bible says that the spirit reassures us. I don't know. I hope I'm not the only one, but in your experience of of your Christian walk, has anyone else ever experienced times and seasons where you wake up in the middle of the night, or you go back from church after a Bible study, and all of a sudden, the only thing you can hear in your head is, I don't know if I belong to him anymore. <laughs> Certainly, he's given up on me by now. Certainly, I've crossed the line in that thought I thought or that stupid thing I just did. I hope that you haven't had that, but I think most of us probably have. And I think the Lord knows we do. And this is why in Romans Chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, Paul says that you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, when the the doubt creeps in and the guilt creeps in and the shame creeps in, what is that always met by for the believer? At some point, even through a journey, You get back in the word of God and the spirit reminds you, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. And somehow it it connects in our spirit, the truth of the gospel reconnects in our spirit and reminds us that it's not by our works we've been saved, it's not by our righteousness we've been accepted, but through the adoption that we've been adopted as children of God. He reassures us of our salvation. Galatians 4 tells us the same thing. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the spirit reassures us of our sonhood, of our daughterhood, of our adoption into the family of God. The spirit also sanctifies us. The word sanctified, it's a big word that simply means to make you a little bit better every day. (laughs) Or we could say, it's the process by which the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. Sanctification. It's taking on holy things out of us. It's putting holy things into us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. For every sin a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So there's a connection here where the Holy Spirit is in us. He's 
taken residence in the temple of our bodies. And he's at work changing us, changing our desires, changing our heart, changing our pursuits, bringing us into obedience. Next is that we see the Holy Spirit teaches us. In John chapter 16, Jesus said that he's the spirit of truth. In other words, he never lies. And that he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, These things we speak not in words of man's wisdom, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He takes the truth of Jesus. He takes the things from the Father. He delivers them into our hearts and our minds, and he gives us discernment and leads us in what is true. The Holy Spirit changes us. Galatians chapter 5, you know it well. It's a very powerful concept, This what Paul says here. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So not only is the Spirit living in us, the Spirit is producing in us the character of Christ. He's planting seeds in our hearts that bear fruit in our lives, that make us look more like Jesus. Not only will he change us internally, the desires of our hearts, our motives, how we act, how we treat each other, but do you know that one day Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to change us externally? <laughs> Listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What that's really talking about is, think about this picture. Jesus goes into a grave, he's dead, 100% dead. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, raises Jesus incorruptible, raises his body to life. Greatest, most miraculous event in human history. Awesome, that's power. That same spirit, who is now living in you, will one day take your mortal body and raise it to incorruptible life. You ready for a new body? (laughs) You ready for life everlasting, eternal? How is that even possible? The power of the Holy Spirit who raises the dead. He also, the Bible says, unites us. He unites us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 tells us, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, We have all been made to drink in one spirit. How many churches are there? One. There's one church because there's one God and there's one Savior and there's one spirit. There's only one. Now, that one church certainly expresses itself in many various ways and pictures and pieces and parts. But I think this is crucial for us to remember. The spirit of God does not divide his church. I just want you to think about that for a minute. That convicts me. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not saying it because I have some, some profound like, expression of how I'm doing this so well. But when there is division within and between true believers, the enemy is somewhere there. Or the flesh is somewhere there. Unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, anger, the enemy's attempt to bring petty things and make them major things, false doctrine that someone's embraced, but never, it's never the Holy Spirit who has 
put the source of division between his church. Now, the Holy Spirit does divide us from the world, amen? If there's division between you and the, the wicked heathen down the street, that's the Holy Spirit. If there's division between you and the person sitting five seats back from you in church, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's you? Well, that's you. <laughs> that, that's you or them. I mean, Sorry. But he tells us here that the Spirit has baptized us all into the same body, the body of Jesus. And the things that separated us before, whether it's the nationality we have, Jews or Greek, whether it's the socioeconomic status we have, slaves or free, we've all been made one in Christ. All status, all wealth, all power, all names, all positions have become equal at the foot of the cross. Finally, you guys, uh, and we'll close here Final point, we've seen the spirit around us, spirit within us. Let's close here by talking about the spirit through us. In John chapter 20, Jesus gives this like gentle breath and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Not long after this, the day of Pentecost rolls around in Acts chapter two and the gentle breath turns into a gale force wind. A mighty rushing wind when the same spirit who dwelt in them came upon them manifesting his power for witness and for salvation of all of those who were around. I think you can say that when a person places their faith in Christ, the gentle breath of Christ comes within them, allowing them to receive his presence in their lives. Their very bodies become dwelling places of the spirit. But then, when mission is involved, God turns up the leaf blower, and he begins to move them into position where he wants to manifest his power. The wind starts to blow over their lives. And between these two breaths, I think it's safe to say that Jesus continually breathes fresh breath on and into his church. Receive the Holy Spirit isn't a one-time command, it's an attitude. It's a permanent posture we should maintain towards the Holy Spirit. Our approach to the Spirit should always be one of receiving. I am not going to argue tonight about first experience, second experience. Does everyone get the same things when they receive the Lord? Do they all get the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do they get the baptism secondly? What, what's it all about? Listen, I have convictions on that. I'm going to share it with you a little bit in one of the later messages. But here's one thing I know for sure regarding the theology of the Holy Spirit in and through the church is that there's never a time where you need to stop needing him. You need more of the Spirit's power in your life. You need more boldness. You need more authority. You need more of what the Spirit has if you want to accomplish what Jesus has for you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled, the Greek word, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, we see that the Spirit empowers us for ministry Verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me 
in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I've shown you this before, but just to try to get a visual for you, all right, you have the Holy Spirit. He can be alongside of you. He can be in you, and he can come upon you. And when he comes upon you, everything else around you gets wet because you can't keep them in. Jesus said, out of their hearts shall flow torrents of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. It's just water. (laughs) How is the wetness effect of your life? So, well, I'm going to church and I read the Bible and I hear God speaking to me and feel like I'm growing in the Lord and and I know the Spirit's changing me. I don't want to do that anymore and I, I want to do that and But is there a dynamic overflow that you sense I have received something I don't naturally have to do something I couldn't naturally do? If not, I want to encourage you this very night to ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, none of you would give a rock to your child who asks for bread or a serpent. How much more does the Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit wants to empower you for mission, empower you for service, give you boldness in your environment to be a witness for Christ. In 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in assurance. There was some sort of spiritual impact that was tangible and measurable and sensible. It wasn't just words. Bible says we have not because we ask not. I find it interesting that no less than 12 times in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit alongside the word power. He gives power of speech, power of miracles, power of witness, power over fear. Luke teaches us at the conception of Mary that the power of the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed her. Jesus was conceived in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says he performed miracles in the power of the Spirit, that Jesus was led by the Spirit, that he was filled with the Spirit. Now, I personally believe that Jesus, of course, demonstrated his own divine power while on earth. There's some who would not agree with me on that. I believe that he did. But I also believe that Jesus showed us what it's like to live in dependency on the power, the baptism, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That we need him. He wants to work through us. Not only does he work through us to empower us for witness and for service, but finally, he works through us in that he distributes to us spiritual gifts to edify, encourage and encourage one another. I'll read something. We'll go into much more depth later, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, notice, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That's going to be a fun study. really is. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. You might look at those that you perceive as super spiritual people. Oh, wouldn't it be great to have the gift of teaching? Wouldn't it be great to be able to just start singing a song and it's so anointed and everyone's just led into work? Wouldn't it be great if, if I just had that gift like that guy who could just tell everyone about Jesus? But then there's just me. Are, are you part of Christ's body? Think about that analogy real quick. It's like... Jesus is looking at his body. He's like, I really like this one. I really like this one. But I don't like that guy. You know? <laughs> Cut him off. No. In fact, Jesus says, uh, excuse me, Paul says that the more, literally, kind of like the more embarrassing or sensitive parts of our body are, are often the ones that receive the, the most care. The Spirit wants to gift you with gifts to be not merely consumers in the body of Christ, but for you to participate to help the body of Christ grow. Church growth is not all the pastors and visionaries and really good communicators of the church get together and figure out how to do all the right programs and make everything look good and get the right advertising to get all the consumers into the pews. That's not church growth. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that church growth is when the pastors give the word of God to equip the people so that they can find their purpose in the ministry, be filled with the spirit, receive spiritual gifts to minister to each other, that the spiritual, the spiritual health of the body can grow. And through that growth, the witness comes to the world, people get saved, and Jesus adds daily to the church those who are being saved. You understand the different... The different model. We're not consumers. We're active members of a body that's on a mission. And so there is no room for saying, I don't want the spirit. I don't want to do anything of ministry. No, you have been called to a ministry. If you clean the windows by the power of the spirit, if you greet, serve in children's ministry, evangelize on the streets, feed the homeless, whatever it is giving you the passion, the zeal, the natural talents, and the supernatural ability to do. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Let me, let me tell you, don't go take a spiritual gift test. <laughs> and I'm not making fun of you if you did, okay? Don't hear me wrong. Stay away from the Enneagram and stay away from this and that. You, you, don't, you don't need it. Oh, but Josh, it helps me. Just, no, no, no. Go into your closet and pray fast. And then you know what? Start serving and watch him supernaturally empower you for the work he wants to do. Well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, I can tell you what you do know. There is no lack of opportunity or needs for you to meet. Let the Lord show you Take a step of faith and watch him show up. And that's how you'll find your calling, your giftings. And it might take time and it might come through discouragement and it might come through trying something and failing and being redirected by the Lord. I'm not saying it's all easy, but what I'm saying is 
when we yield ourselves to the Spirit, then He will fill us. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but He promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you that can only be attributed to His Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life. We're